We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures, visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, Jorge, what's your favorite solar system object? Hmm, I'm going to have to go with the Earth because, you know, it's the only one I've been to. (laughs) So you're not a gas giant kind of person? (laughs) Depends how many tacos I had for lunch. (laughs) But uh, what about you? Do you have a favorite? Uh, I'm a big fan of the sun and everything it does for us here on Earth. But my favorite thing in the solar system is actually comets. Comets? What have comets done for us? Well, they're like cosmic snowballs and actually most of Earth's water turns out to be melted comets. Mm, I guess water is pretty useful to have. But wait, are you saying the solar system is having a snowball fight? Yeah, it's more like deadly planetary dodgeball. cartoonist and the creator of PhD Comics. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist, but I have strong opinions about various solar system objects. And welcome to our podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, a production of iHeartRadio. In which we talk about everything that we know about the universe and everything that we don't know about the universe, everything that makes us wonder and everything that makes us go, huh? And we explain all of it to you because we think that your curiosity is as valuable as the curiosity of scientists working on the front line. Yeah, and there's a lot to be curious about. The universe is full of amazing and incredible things and a lot of mysteries. A lot of things that we don't know where they come from or what makes them what they are or why they're there. Yeah, and a lot of great scientific discoveries begin with pretty simple questions, you know, like, why is that thing there? Or why are those comets flying through space and where do they come from? Is one of them going to hit us and wipe us out? Great scientific discoveries come from really simple questions that everybody wants to know the answers to. Yeah, because we have questions even about our own backyard. Our solar system is still 
full of things that we don't quite fully understand. Yep, people like to talk about things in the distant universe that are still a mystery. We don't know how big it is or what's going on out there in the depths of the universe. But you're absolutely right. There's still a lot to be discovered right in our own neighborhood. Big questions about what's going on in our own household that we still don't know the answers to. So Daniel, do you have a strong opinions about things in our solar system? Are they all positive <laughs> or are some of them negative? Is there someone you don't like here in the solar system? <laughs> no, they're all positive. I love everything in the solar system from ice giants to planetesimals to space centaurs to deadly comets to enormous burning balls of gas. I just think it's all pretty awesome. I can't imagine having a negative opinion about anything. Mm. Do, you, do you include in that all the people on Earth too? <laughs> Yes, I love everybody. No, it's incredible when you look out there in space that you see so many beautiful, amazing things. Like when was the last time you looked at something out in space and you thought, that's just kind of ugly. You know, <laughs> it's all just sort of like incredible and beautiful. You know, whoever the universe's visual artist is, they're doing a good job. Yeah. Although, you know, we live in California. So right now when I look up at the sky... It's mostly smoke. Well, then take a journey through the solar system with your mind's eye. Yeah, there are a lot of big questions about the solar system and how we got to where we are. And one of those big questions about our solar system is where do comets come from? We don't know of a comet factory here in our solar system, do we? We don't know of a comet factory. It could be that there are aliens out there in the outskirts of the solar system packing up ice balls and shooting them at Earth. Or it could be that they come from something else, something deep out there in the solar system that's basically a huge reservoir of comets ready to fall in, screaming towards the sun and boiling up. Yeah. And this is a big question because some people think that most of the water on Earth came from comets. That's right. Comets are mostly ice. You know, something a lot of people don't understand about the universe is that water is not rare. We talk about liquid water being something we're looking for on the surface of planets to see if there's alien life. But water as a chemical, there's tons of it out there. There's like planet-sized blobs of it. So most comets are icy planetismals. They're just big balls of ice. And some of them fell towards the Earth in the early days and landed and melted and formed our oceans. Yeah, and thank goodness, because that's where life came from, right? If had them in for those snowballs, we wouldn't be here. That's right. So next time you put your lips to a glass of melted comet, remember, you are drinking the outer solar system. <laughs> you are melted comet, <laughs> right? Yeah. Next time you go somewhere and order a drink, order sparkling melted comet and see what they do. Yeah. So a big question is where they come from. And so scientists have a potential answer to that question, right, Daniel? That's right. They don't know for sure. Nobody's ever actually seen it. But We've given it a name. So today on the podcast, we'll be asking the question. What is now, Daniel, is that pronounced Oort or Oort? Because it's spelled O-O-R-T. <laughs> it's a great question. And it's a Dutch name. It comes from a Dutch astronomer who first thought it up. And so I reached out to my Dutch speaking brother to ask him for his preferred pronunciation because I didn't know. Is it Oort, Oort? or some like weird Dutch vowel that we don't even have in English <laughs> that can never be replicated. Keep, keep going, keep going. <laughs> well, you know, there are vowels in Danish that, you know, you can only replicate if you get like punched in the gut in exactly the right way. Like, <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. You Danish speakers out there know what I'm talking about. But it turns out that ort spelled O-O-R-T is pronounced like port. Mm. All right. So it's a cloud apparently of some sort. And it's I'm guessing it's out in space. 
And so a big question is, how many people out there know what it is and what its significance is? That's right. So I polled our listeners who have volunteered to answer random questions over the Internet from a physicist they've never met. If you'd like to participate in such absurd commentary on our physical universe, please write to me to questions at danielandjorge.com. And thanks to everybody who shared your speculations. Think about it for a second. If someone asks you what the Oort cloud is... What would you answer? Here's what people had to say. The Oort cloud is one of the outermost regions of the solar system comprised of, we think, a bunch of uh, remnants of the early solar system. The Oort cloud is a group of like dust and rocks and asteroids and just material that's way outside our, it encircles our whole solar system, I think, in a giant sphere, or maybe just a circle. The Oort cloud is a vast array of comets and other such icy debris orbiting around the sun very far away from the rest of the planetary systems. I know that the sun is in the middle of it, and it passes our solar system, so it passes Pluto. Is it the big cloud of dust that's um, spewing out the top and the bottom of the Milky Way? Does it have anything to do with the Kuiper belt? Probably close to the solar system? I think the Oort cloud is like an area outside the solar system where there are some icy objects. I'm not sure what. Probably comets and things like that. All right. Some pretty good answers. Most people seem to know it's something related to our solar system and that it's a cloud and that maybe there's ice involved. Yeah, exactly. It's something big and fuzzy and out there. Yeah, and cool. Also. And cool. Pretty cool. And my favorite thing about the Oort cloud is that the acronym, the OC, is the same as the place I live, Orange County. <laughs> <laughs> Except it's a little warmer, I think. It's a little warmer, but it's also still very, very cool. <laughs> That's the first time I've heard you give a compliment to the uh, Orange County there. <laughs> I love Orange County. Best place in the world to live, seriously. What could you complain about? But that's not the topic of today's podcast. We're talking about the cosmic OC, the solar system's OC, not California's OC. And so uh, it's apparently something out in space. And so, Daniel, let's step people through it. So what is the Oort cloud? The Oort cloud is super awesome. It is a theoretical cloud of icy planetismals or mini planets. Planetismal. Did you just make that up or is that the actual science term? Oh man, I wish I could have made that word up. There's something wonderful about just saying that word planetismal, right? But no, planetismal is a mini planet mm -hmm. and it's smaller than a dwarf planet, right? You got planet, dwarf planet, and then planetismal. Oh, they couldn't just say um, mini planet. <laughs> well, it's sort of like planetino, you know? That's what you do in English. Planetito. And so it's a bunch of these and they're really, really far out there. Like if you have the solar system, you know, Earth is at 1 AU, we call it an astronomical unit. And you go really far out, you get out to like Neptune and Pluto. Mm. You have to go much, much, much further before you get to the Oort cloud. Mm. Is it even considered our solar system or is it technically outside of our solar system? Yeah, it's a great question. Most people 
consider the end of our solar system to be just under about 100 AU, where the sun's radiation becomes dominated by the galactic radiation. Now you think of space as sort of like empty, right? But actually it's filled with streaming particles. The sun is pumping out particles, not just photons, but protons and electrons and all sorts of crazy stuff. And it dominates the region around it with all of its pulsating radiation. But the rest of the galaxy also has a wind that's coming from all the other stars and the central black hole and all that crazy stuff. Mm. So we define the edge of the solar system. It's called the heliopause as the place where the sun's radiation stops dominating the local environment. and You're taken over by the galactic wind. And that's at like 100 or so AU. It's like when our sun becomes just another star, kind of. Yeah, exactly. And the wind from the rest of the galaxy takes over the sun's wind. And here again, wind, we don't mean air, we just mean the particles that it's shooting out. But the Oort cloud starts like 10 times further out than that, like at a thousand AU. Mm. Now, is this still sort of like bound by the gravity of the sun or is it pretty much like an independent thing from our solar system? It's definitely bound by the gravity of the sun. So if you define the edge of the solar system by the radiation, it's like at 100 AU. But stuff that's further out is still gravitationally bound to the sun, but it's a little bit loose. It's like a little fuzzy. It's so far out from the sun that it's not that hard to knock something off and have it escape into interstellar space. Mm, so it's not orbiting around us. It's sort of like we're tugging them and it's tugging us. It's definitely orbiting around us. Think of it like a huge shell surrounding the solar system. The other fascinating thing about it is that it's not a disk, right? Most of the stuff in the solar system is a big disk. It's flat. But the Oort cloud, we think, is a sphere. It's like totally surrounding the solar system. Mm. And it goes out really, really far out to like a light year, maybe two light years of just this like cloud of little frozen objects. And there could be like trillions of them. In trillions there. of planetismals. Trillions of planetismals. Of mini planets. I'm sorry. Yeah, of planetitos. And it's sort of like calculus. You know, in calculus, you sum over infinitesimals and you get like an actual quantity. In the same way, if you sum over all the planetismals in the Oort cloud, you get a combined mass of stuff that's like five times the mass of the Earth. But then again, spread out into like trillions of objects. Right, and spread out not just like a wide, but tall too. Like it's, it's pretty diffuse. It's very diffuse. Like it's not like flying the Millennium Falcon through an asteroid field where you're going to like dodge and weave, right? It's like, mm -hmm. could we see something? Like, is there one there? It's so far out there. It's mostly empty. But again, they are gravitationally bound to the sun and they are orbiting the sun. That's why they're in a cloud around the sun. Mm. It's not like just the whole interstellar medium is filled with these objects. It's a cloud of them. We think, again, we think, we don't know for sure. We haven't seen them because they're so small and far away. But we think that they're there in this big blob around the sun. I see. And it's made up of like giant, literally like giant balls of ice. Basically snowballs. Like yep. how big? Well, each one could be like bigger than a kilometer in size. Mm -hmm. So we think that there are like trillions of them that are more than a kilometer and maybe only billions that are 20 kilometers or larger. But if you wanted to have a cosmic snowball fight, that's like where your arsenal is. That's the best place to go for the stockpile. Wow. So that's like, a, let me see, that's like a snowball about the size of Los Angeles, right? 20 <laughs> kilometers? Right. Yeah. There are billions of frozen Los Angeleses out there in the OC. <laughs> Because they are pretty cool. <laughs>
Icy cool. They are pretty cool. And if they weren't gravitationally bound to the sun, they would just sort of float away into space. But they are bound there. They're floating around. But, you know, it's sort of loose. And so sometimes the thought is sometimes something perturbs them and then they can get knocked out of their very loose orbit and plummet towards the inner solar system. Because mm, they're in a stable orbit. Is that the idea? Is that they're like happily going around our sun in this huge wide orbit, but sometimes they can fall in. Yeah, we think it's probably stable. And if nothing perturbed them, they would just happily hang out there really far away, staying frozen. But, you know, we are in a little neighborhood. And since it's sort of loosely held by the sun, it's not that hard to perturb them. And you can have things like galactic tides that squeeze the Oort cloud and knock some of them out of orbit. Mm, you mean from the center of the galaxy? Yeah, just the way the moon has a gravitational effect on the water of the Earth. So as the moon goes around the Earth, it tugs on the oceans and causes tides. We have a gravitational pull towards the center of the galaxy, and that tends to tug on one part of the Oort cloud that's closer to it more than the rest of the Oort cloud. So it sort of extends it. Wow. And then as we move around the center of the galaxy very slowly, you know, hundreds of millions of years, the direction of that tug changes. So it's a dynamic. So as we move around the center of the galaxy, the tides change, the galactic tides wow. change. So are we right now in high tide or lord tide? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, we're at the center of it, right? So uh, we wouldn't feel it at all. But oh. there's a blob of the Oort cloud that's always pointed towards the center of the galaxy. That would be at high tide. There's more objects in that part of it. So we're sort of at the very center of it. So we can't tell. Wow. But it can be galactic tides. It can also be like nearby stars. If a nearby star happens to come somewhere close to us, as we all swish around the Milky Way, it can perturb the Oort cloud and send comets falling in towards the center of the solar system. Right. Or steal them. Possibly steal them. Or steal them. Absolutely. And we'll talk about where these came from. It's not clear that all of them actually came from our solar system. Oh, wow. And I guess the thing is that we've never actually seen this cloud, right? Like we don't have pictures of it or even like radar of it or evidence of it. That's right. It's so far out there that it's still theoretical. There have been some glimpses of one or two objects that people debate might be like part of the inner, inner, inner Oort cloud. But these things are really small and really, really far away. Like it's hard to see Pluto, right? And Pluto is really close compared to these things. Mm. And nothing that we have out there in the solar system has gotten anywhere close to them. Like the thing that we have sent out into space, that's the furthest object the humans have ever built. That's Voyager 1, the fastest human spaceship ever, right? That thing won't get to the beginning of the Oort cloud for another 300 years. Mm. Well, Daniel, I don't know if I believe in this thing or not. <laughs> but let's get into how we know it's actually there and why we think it's important for our origin as a planet and as a human species. But first, let's take a quick break. You know that feeling after you've done a deep spring clean of your house when you realize, wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like how you feel when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, while Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording all this? So it's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Personally, I've used Mint Mobile, and the calls are always so crisp and so clear. All of their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So it's time to ditch your 
overpriced wireless and go with Mint Mobile's limited time deal for three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash universe. That's mintmobile.com slash universe. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash universe. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three month plan only. Slower speeds above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. The financial universe out there can seem like a vast place full of scary mysteries and exciting possibilities, but it can also be overwhelming to navigate, especially when you're first starting out in life. It feels sometimes like just one wrong turn could send you hurtling endlessly towards a financial black hole. But don't worry, you don't have to navigate the financial universe on your own. With the right tools, you can master the financial universe and chart your course with confidence. Intuit helps you navigate the financial universe through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit has helped a hundred million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusion supply. All right, we're talking about the Oort Cloud, which is, uh, I guess, uh, Daniel, you would describe it as a, like a giant shell of city-sized snowballs floating out hundreds of light years away from the sun. That's right. And snowballs makes it sound quaint and fun. And like if you get hit by one, you can just go inside and warm up with a cup of hot cocoa, right? But these things are massive ice balls. And if one of them hit the earth, we might be toast. Mm. So we'll talk about the danger of these things later on. But I want to make sure people are aware that these are basically massive space bullets waiting to hit the earth. It's like a real snowball. If they pack enough ice into that slush ball, it can really hurt. Yeah. All right. So how do we know that it's actually there then? What makes us think that there is this giant cloud of snowballs in space? Well, it comes from sort of a paradox. In the last hundred years, we've established that there are lots of comets. But the solar system is not very young. And so people have been wondering, like, where do all these comets come from? Because comets are not stable. Like once a comet starts falling in towards the sun, it loses a lot of its mass as the sun boils it away. So a comet can't like zip around the sun for billions of years. It only gets like, Mm. you know, 50 or 100, maybe 200 times around before it gets boiled away. Right. So if that's the case, if comets don't last very long, why are we still seeing comets? It's like you lived in Arizona and every once in a while somebody throws a snowball at your house. 
you're like, this is recent. Like somebody just <laughs> made this. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're walking around your neighborhood and everybody's eating ice cream, you're like, where's the ice cream chuck? It must have just come by. Mm. And so exactly. They thought there must be some sort of source of these things. The other clue was that there's sort of two types of comets. There are short period comets, comets that have an orbit around the sun that's like less than 10 AU. And these are mostly aligned with the solar system. It seems like they're like basically solar system objects, just blobs of ice mm -hmm. somewhere in the outer reaches of the solar system. But then there's a second group of comets they're called long period comets. These are ones that have an orbit that's like a thousand AU or more. And they take a long time to go around the sun and they don't follow the plane of the solar system. So these were really the mystery. They're like, where are these long period comets coming from? They couldn't explain it. They shouldn't stick around. And so to explain where the new ones were coming from, they said maybe there's a huge blob of them somewhere out there beyond where we can see. Oh, I see. You're saying these long period comets, they're sort of coming out of left field. Doesn't look like they're hanging out with us or have been hanging out with us for a long time. It's like they're coming from somewhere else. Yeah, because they can't last for very long. Like once you see a comet, you're seeing it in the end of its life cycle. It could have been hanging out happily for billions of years deep out there in the solar system. But once you see it, that means it's falling towards the sun and it's going to get boiled away as it goes around the sun yeah. and it can't survive for very long. And even if it does make it 100 or 200 orbits, it's got a high chance of getting kicked out of the solar system, being perturbed by the gravity of one of the outer planets. So once you see a comet, it means it's in its last chapter of its life in the solar system. Oh. So if we're still seeing comets four and a half billion years into the story of the solar system. There has to be some fresh resupply every once in a while. I guess if you're seeing a comet, that means it's getting hit by the rays of the sun, which is probably melting it. It's definitely melting it. And that's what the comet's tail is, right? People like to imagine the comet's tail is like, little action lines in a cartoon that show you where it's moving. But the comet's tail is not actually pointed away from the direction of the comet's motion. It's pointed away from the sun because the tail comes from the sun boiling away all the stuff mm. on the comet. Yeah, that's the signature tail of, of comets. That's what it is. It's not really a tail. It's more like a, a haircut. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, precisely. And comets can actually have multiple tails. They can have tails going in different directions based on like the stuff that's in there that's getting boiled away, different compositions. So it's pretty fascinating to look at the tails of comets. It's pretty awesome. Mm. Okay, so then someone named Jan Ort in the 50s said, hey, maybe all of these weird long period comets are coming from a very specific place. And so he came up with this idea of the Oort cloud. Yeah, and he looked at the orbits of these comets and he said, how far out does it have to be to generate comets with this length orbit, these long period comets? And so that's how he estimated it. He made a very rough estimate for, you know, how far away it should be. And since then, we have much better data, better telescopes. We can see the orbit of these comets much more clearly. We have more telescopes. We have Hubble. And so we can track all this stuff mm -hmm. and we have better estimates for what's out there and how big it is. But the basic idea came from this guy, Jan Ort, in 1950. And, you know, it's pretty awesome to get to put your name on the biggest thing in the solar system. Like this thing just dwarfs the rest of the solar system. Did, did he call it the, the, the Oort cloud or was it named after him? <laughs> That's a great question. I should read his original paper mm. to see if he put his own name on it or if he was humble. Yeah, maybe he called it the cloudetesimal. <laughs> and But somebody said, That's a ridiculous name. 
We'll go with org. Yeah, and it's fascinating and it's cool because it answers a question, right? It tells you, oh, that must be where these comments are coming from. But like everything in science, when you answer a question, it opens up more questions like, all right, well, where did this Oort cloud come from? Why is it there? Why aren't they just closer into the rest of the solar system? Mm. And that's an active area of research right now. Right. So we actually haven't seen this cloud. We're just sort of tracking where comets come from and we think they come from this cloud. Yeah, we have not seen this. We don't have telescopes that are powerful enough to spot it. None of our probes are anywhere near it. But it's sort of the best explanation we have for the source of comets. So it's pretty well accepted mm. in the astronomical community that it exists. Mm. Like we always like to see direct evidence of something before we conclude that it exists. Like there was evidence for Pluto before we spotted it in a telescope. But you don't really claim discovery of it until you actually see it, right? It's like finding the body in a murder mystery, but sometimes it's the best you can do for a while. So we can talk later about like plans people have for how to spot the Oort cloud and to study it. But for now, we have no direct evidence of it. I guess it's not a thick enough cloud that it like makes your view hazy or you can see some of the like the light getting filtered through it. It's not that thick. No, it's not that thick. These things are very small and very far away. So thick is definitely not how you describe it. There's enormous vast empty spaces between every object in the Oort cloud. Even though there are trillions and trillions of objects, the space we're talking about is incredibly vast, right? We're talking about a sphere that's basically a light year in radius. Mm. And so there's a lot of space in there to distribute the trillion objects and still have lots of room in between them. All right. Well, I guess, like you said, a big question is where did this Oort cloud come from? Like, why is there all this water deposited in one spot? out there in the solar system, beyond the solar system? Well, as usual, we have a few theories. We have sort of like the most boring theory and then the most exciting theory. And the most boring theory is sort of a story of the formation of our solar system. Like we start from a big cloud of molecular gas and dust and stuff that collapses and you get the sun. And you have a disk of stuff that has too much angular momentum to collapse into the sun. So it spins around the sun without forming part of the star. And that's the protoplanetary disk, right? And there you have ice and gas and dust mm -hmm. and all kinds of stuff that starts to form planets and clump together and form all sorts of stuff. And the idea is that not everything clumps together to form a planet. Like you have asteroids, for example, you have smaller things. Gravity doesn't succeed at clumping everything together. But you do get big gas giants out there like Neptune and Uranus and Saturn and, and Jupiter, they start to be sort of like heavyweights of their own gravitationally, and they can perturb the other stuff. And so there was a bit of a dance in the early solar system as these big planets were finding their place. And as they move around, they affected everything else. So the short version of the story is that we think that they were essentially tossed out of the solar system by some wow. of these gas giants. As they were being born, these planets sort of like muscled their way around the craziness of the solar system. Yeah. And one of the definitions of planets, if you believe in, you know, silly astronomical categories, is that it's cleared its own path around the sun. And so that's just sort of like the job of growing up and being a modern planet is that you're like toss the little bits out of the way or, you know, slave them and make them into your moons. But in this case, most of the stuff we think was tossed out sort of in the early days of the solar system formation. And it also, it had a reverse effect. Remember, gravity is always two directions. So we think that one of the reasons that Neptune is as far out as it is, is that it got tugged out by these objects as they were leaving the solar mm. system. I guess one question is, if a planet is 
kind of plowing through and sending things out into space, wouldn't it send all kinds of things like asteroids and rocks and gas? How did all this ice come together so purely, I guess? Like, you know, why isn't it a mix of all other things? Yeah, that's a great question. It is mostly a mix, right? These things are not pure water. It's not like you go out there and you find these pristine cubes of ice that you're ready to chisel out and put onto your space cocktails. These things are dirty. This definitely still rocks in there. But remember that a large oh. fraction of the stuff in the outer solar system is ice. Like you call Uranus and Neptune, they're called ice giants. And so it's something of a matter of how these chemicals are distributed through the solar system, like where water ends up and ends up freezing and gathering together. But a lot of the stuff in the outer solar system, a non-significant fraction of all the mass in the outer solar system is water. Uh, I guess out there, most of it is ice and liquid. Because yeah. if it was closer, yeah. it would evaporate and maybe blow out. Exactly. So there's some complicated arguments about where stuff in the solar system collapses and what falls in and what doesn't. But you end up with a lot of ice in the outer solar system. But these things are not pure water. Again, they're definitely bits of rock. I would not recommend mm. drinking an Oort object if you found one. <laughs> Unless you like rocks. <laughs> Unless you like your cocktails dirty. I guess they're dirty snowballs <laughs> then, huh? All right, so that's one theory about how it forms. It's just like a, you know, a byproduct of the dynamics of the solar system. What are the more interesting theories? The more interesting theories are the interstellar theories. One idea is that our sun, when it formed, wasn't on its own. What? You know, we've discovered fairly recently that a lot of stars... There was a twin? Yes, were born as twins. That binary star systems are much more common than we imagined. So it could have been that our sun had a twin and that this collapsing cloud of stuff formed two stars instead of one. But then these two sort of drifted apart, as you know, siblings sometimes do. And there was a lot of material exchanged. And that gives you an opportunity to sort of pull material further away from the sun because you have this big heavy object the other star tugging on your solar system what so what happened to this other star sister star it's the subject of a netflix documentary you know where they're going to reunite the stars for a dramatic conclusion at the end of the universe <laughs> or a hit podcast <laughs> miniseries <laughs> that's right not true crime but true physics no we don't know it's just hypothetical we don't know that the sun had a twin star at its birth. It's just an idea. Mm. But if it did, it could have been pulled off and gone in any direction. It's been a long time. It's been billions of years. And so it's hard to trace. It's not like the nearest star is necessarily a category for our lost twin. Mm. This thing would have been moving for a long time. It could be anywhere at this oh, point. I see. And so the idea is that this sister star pulled some things from the sun and then left it out there where the Oort cloud would be? Yeah, just like we were talking about the gas giants tossing stuff out of the solar system. Now you have a much bigger object, a heavier object, another star, even further out. It's going to tug out some of these stuff in our solar system to have a very large radius. And then as the two sort of separate, I'm imagining like, you know, cell mitosis here. Two stars are pulling apart from each other and there's sort of like threads in between them. And then as they get far enough away, they stop affecting each other gravitationally and things settle into place. But you have stuff out at a pretty far radius because of the gravitational pull of the other star. Interesting. So it was like a, the leftover from the divorce or something. Yeah. Just got dropped there in the middle of space. <laughs> That's right. The poor abandoned objects in the stellar OC. <laughs> so many divorces <laughs> in the OC. <laughs> Seems uh, appropriate. All right, let's get into our last theory about where this Oort cloud came from and what it all means. But first, let's take another quick break. 
The financial universe out there can seem like a vast place full of scary mysteries and exciting possibilities, but it can also be overwhelming to navigate, especially when you're first starting out in life. It feels sometimes like just one wrong turn could send you hurtling endlessly towards a financial black hole. But don't worry, you don't have to navigate the financial universe on your own. With the right tools, you can master the financial universe and chart your course with confidence. Intuit helps you navigate the financial universe through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit has helped a hundred million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right, it's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right, Daniel, there's a giant cloud of snowballs out in space about three light years away from the sun. And we think that's where comets come from. But the question is, where did this cloud come from? And so you have one more theory for us about that. And uh, I'm going to guess it involves aliens. <laughs> it involves alien stars, though oh. we don't know if there are aliens living around those stars. The problem is that if you do the calculations and you have your theory of the solar system and you predict how many things there should be in the Oort cloud, you get a number that's way too small. You get a number like six billion objects. But we know the number is much, much bigger than that. So the idea is like, well, where do these things come from? Mm. So wait, how do we know how big it should be if we don't, if we've never seen it and it's all theoretical? Is it just from like the frequency of comets that we get? Exactly. To explain the number of comets that we see and their radius and stuff, there should be a certain number of objects in the Oort cloud. Otherwise, we would see fewer and fewer comets. Mm. But if we try to predict how many things are in the Oort cloud from sort of first principles formation, like how many things should have been tossed out there by Neptune and Saturn and Uranus, then we get a much smaller number. So there's a discrepancy there. We know there are objects out there. We can't explain how they got there. So one idea is, well, when our star was forming, what was going on nearby? We talked about how maybe there was a sister star formed with us. But another idea is that maybe our stellar cloud that collapsed 
was near some other objects and it stole some material from those objects. That basically the Oort cloud is like a lot of stuff from other solar systems that was stolen by our sun when it formed. What? It could be stolen goods. Yeah. The water we're drinking could have been <laughs> stolen from another solar system. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you should feel guilty every time you have a drink. <laughs> it's illicit. But it could basically be all Oumuamua, right? Remember Oumuamua was this interstellar comet, this frozen object that passed through our solar system coming from some other solar system. And it could be that the Oort cloud is basically just a bunch of these. Oh, I see. Is that a theory that Oumuamua came from the Oort cloud? No, Oumuamua definitely did not come from the Oort cloud. Its trajectory is totally inconsistent with that. We know that it came from another solar system, but it could be that the Oort cloud mm. is the product of stealing a bunch of Oumuamua-like objects much, much earlier, a long time ago as our solar system was forming. Wow. So, you know, if possession is nine-tenths of the law, then, you know, we've had these for billions of years. They're basically ours now. But there is a bit of original sin there in having stolen them from another solar system a I long see. time ago. Well, yeah, I guess, because, you know, I think the, the closest stars to us, our solar system, are about, what is it, like five light years away, right? Yeah, three and a half light years away to Proxima Centauri. Yeah, yeah. so this Oort cloud is about where those other stars are. Yeah, it's the right order of magnitude, right? It's that big. It's so big that it gets you part way to other stars. And those other stars probably have their own clouds. And these stars tug on each other. And one of the ways to perturb our Oort cloud is to have other stars come nearby and give it like a little gravitational tug, which results in comets falling towards the Earth. Wow. Also, an Oort cloud is not necessarily like a good thing. We talk about stealing this, but like it's a bunch of bullets hanging over our head. We're mm. at the bottom of this gravity well. Any of them roll down, they could totally wipe us out. It's like deadly hail or something. Yeah. You, don't, you don't necessarily want that. You it don't. won't create a winter wonderland. No, you want it early on so it can give you oceans, but then you basically want to give them away to your neighbor oh. so you don't have them anymore. Wow. All right. So it is kind of like a giant interplanetary snowball fight almost or tug of war. Yeah. And that's where we think most comets come from. And, you know, every time you see a comet that's come from the outer solar system, it's been out there for billions of years happily orbiting, not being close to anybody, being an introvert, and now it's screaming towards the center of the solar system, maybe hitting a planet, maybe hitting the sun, maybe just whipping around and going back out. Right. It's kind of dangerous. It's actually quite dangerous. You know, people talk about asteroids hitting the Earth and worrying about big rocks and planet killers and all kinds of stuff. But the truth is, NASA has most of those figured out. Like most of the asteroids, the things in our solar system, we can see them because they're pretty close. Certainly anything that's big enough to cause us any danger. And NASA has a great team of planetary protectors tracking these things, predicting where they're going to be and letting us know if they're going to be anywhere nearby. And often one of them slips through and we don't see it until it hits us, but that's because it's small. So a really big object that would actually cause any damage, NASA's pretty sure we're safe from those for a couple hundred years. Right, because they're hanging out in the solar system so we can kind of see them, but... We can see them. But if it's yeah. coming from outside the solar system, then it can surprise us. Yeah, if it comes from left field, it could be a, a real surprise. These things could have orbits that are hundreds or thousands of years. And so the first time we see one might be the last time we see one because it could be headed for Earth. And so these things could fall into the solar system and smack right into a planet and, you know, cause a lot of destruction because they also, they move really, really fast. 
they've been accelerating for a long time, falling in towards the sun. And so they have a huge amount of kinetic energy. This is not a gently tossed snowball. Wow. This is like a rocket. This is like a rocket propelled missile launched snowball. Yeah, you give like a really hard block of ice to a major league pitcher and stand right in front of him as he throws it at your face. That's about how terrifying <laughs> this is. It's like when they threw those frozen turkeys at airplanes <laughs> to see if the airplanes would break. Is that a real experiment? You just make that up. <laughs> no, it's a real thing. They shot frozen turkeys at uh, airplanes to see what would happen. <laughs> and it's happened before, right? Like our solar system has gotten pelted by giant snowballs and some of them even hit some planets. Yeah, exactly. If you think, oh, that's not likely to happen or it might only happen every thousand or million years, we don't know how often it happens, but we do know that it happened recently. It was in the 90s that a big comet hit Jupiter, Comet Shoemaker-Levy. It broke up into a bunch of pieces and each one pelted Jupiter. And even after it broke up, it made fireballs that were larger than Earth when each one hit. So these are very dramatic planetary events, not the kind of thing we want to have happen to Earth. Yeah, yeah, that would be bad news. It would be bad and news. And now, Daniel, I have a, a note here in the document you sent me here that I'm trying to figure out. It says... Also, space centaurs. <laughs> and that's it. What does that even mean? Space centaurs are so much fun. I decided to make it a whole other episode for a few weeks from now. But there is this what? thing in the solar system called a space centaur. No. Seriously, it's a thing. Scientists found the thing and called them space centaurs. But they're not like you might imagine, maybe like, you know, asteroids that happen to look like the fusion between man and horse. No, they're just the name that you give small objects between Jupiter and Neptune that sort of cross back and forth between the orbits of these gas giants, the sort of like transitional objects. So they're like, we could call them space unicorns or space griffins. <laughs> that would be too crazy. Uh, but we'll go with space centaurs. <laughs> I don't know what kind of bananas they were smoking the day they came up with that name, but it did tickle my sense of humor. Mm. But they think that maybe space centaurs also have come from the Oort cloud. They've essentially fallen in and then into these more stable orbits oh, wow. uh, somewhere in the outer solar system. Interesting. Well, then I vote we rename comets to space <laughs> unicorns. I second your motion, but I don't think we have any jurisdiction here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like comets are pretty cool. They might be coming from the Oort cloud, this theoretical cloud out there in space, which uh, gave us water, which is a good thing, but which may kill us in the future. And so we're, we're studying this cloud now. We're studying comets more. What are we doing about it? Well, we're doing everything we can. It's pretty hard to spot these things, right? They're so small. They're so far away. People have one really fun idea for how to visualize these things. And essentially, it's to look for star eclipses. Like if we are surrounded by this huge cloud of these little objects, they're essentially black. They're so far away, they don't reflect enough sunlight. But occasionally they should pass in front of stars, causing these little transitions where the star basically blinks out momentarily. So you can look at all the stars and watch them and wait to see if you see one of these eclipses. And if you do, then you can use that to measure like how many things there are out there but based on the, the rate at which you see these things. And if you don't, then you can set oh. a limit and say, well, there can't be that many. Otherwise, I would have seen them. Wow. You're looking at like how the stars are twinkling. Yeah. Because they, they might be twinkling because of a giant comet heading towards us. Yeah. Or just a giant silent frozen comet passing between us and that star. And, you know, it has to line up just right. You have to draw a line between the Earth 
and that star super far away. And then the Oort cloud object has to basically break that line in order for there to be this eclipse. So it's not that likely, but there are a lot of stars out there and maybe a lot of Oort cloud objects. So if you get enough yeah. telescope time, you might be able to spot yeah. it. And unicorns are pretty magical, so you never know what they're going to do. <laughs> What if they're all turned out to be rainbow colored? That would be amazing. <laughs> rainbow ice. Yeah. <laughs> and it could also be that if we pass nearby another star, that that star could like pass through our Oort cloud, causing like a new bombardment of comets. Wow. And that would be sort of a confirmation because we'd see a lot of these things rushing towards the inner solar system. Well, clearly we need to build like an ice fort, Daniel, <laughs> around the Earth. Can we do that? Um, yeah, I think it's called Neptune. <laughs> oh, there you go. It's an ice giant. And hopefully it captures these things as they come into the inner solar system. You know, we actually do have the gas giants to thank for protecting us from a lot of these things. They tend to pull them in and they also tend to clean them up. So without those big planets out there protecting us from the OC bullies throwing snowballs, we would have had wow. a rougher time of it. Wouldn't it be ironic if there was a, like a giant comet heading towards us, but then at the last minute, Pluto gets in the way and blocks it. <laughs> that sounds like the plot of our movie. That sounds like a good slow motion scene at the end. Splat. And everyone's like, oh, Pluto, <laughs> we took you for granted, but now you saved us all. <laughs> it's too late, but now we value your contribution. <laughs> all right. Well, the next time you look out into the night sky, we hope you think about what's out there and what could possibly be out there. And also think of ice unicorns floating out there in space. And remember that there's a lot of things out there that we still don't understand. Sources of mystery, sources of wonder, and sources of danger. So we better get on it and figure this stuff out before it wipes us out. Or it, it might be too late. <laughs> We're ready or not. All right, well, we hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for listening, and remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. 
It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.